Real Life Real Crime is a true crime podcast brought to you weekly by Woody Overton, Jim Rathman, and executive producer Toby Tomplay. of acts of violence or that are of a sexual nature and should be for people that are 18 years or older. Heed my warning, people. Jim and I do not get the facts of these cases off of the internet or from some television show. The facts we're retelling you were presented to us by the victims of the crimes or the perpetrators who committed the crimes against the victims. My description of the crime scenes or what I saw with my own two eyes. If you're going to get offended, please turn this podcast off now. Thank you. Hello, everybody. I'm Woody Overton, your host of Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. And with me, my co-host, Jim, the hitman, Raffman. What's up, Jim? What's going on, Woody? Getting ready to lay down another episode for all the lifers out there. Yes, sir. I'll tell you, I'm still uh, I'm still very excited from this past weekend at the Basin. That was an amazing event, man. I loved it. That is a definitely a once-in-a-year once kind of party, throw down. But it was <laughs> awesome. We appreciate everybody for coming out. But, y'all, we're going to do um, more of a serious episode today, and, and it's a hard subject. And I, talking to Jim about it, it, it just – I think it's something we need to do uh, – um, so the we're not going to mention any names. We're not going to mention any well a location unless they weren't from around here, uh, locations or addresses or whatever. Because it's not something we're doing to sensationalize it. We're doing it because um, hopefully we can help somebody else from stopping to do it in the future. Jim, to bring awareness, right? And and so what we're we're going to call this episode a. 29S. Jim, tell them what that means. Suicide. That's what 829 is. Yeah, you know how cops use 10 codes is what, what they're called. Um, the the code for a person committing suicide is A29S. You knew if you were getting dispatched to an A29S, it was going to be a suicide case. And we never, yeah, we worked so many of them. You you would never believe how many suicides happen every day that as a detective or even in uniform patrol that you have to respond to. And the reason for that is we never, ever put it on the media unless, unless it was uh, 
a murder-suicide thing, and we did that past episode. You murdered us both. But if you killed yourself, you didn't get on the news for it. And that was one of Willie Gray's thing, and I, and I think that's a pretty smart thing that he always did. Plus, you know, the, the, the family's going to be traumatized enough as it is. So the, today's episode is more about we're going to tell you a couple ones that stick out in our heads and, uh, and you know, we're un, unrehearsed and unscripted. I don't even know which ones Jim's going to say, um, but we're going to tell you a couple and then we'll tell you some cause and effects behind it and hopefully some ways to, if if you're going through it or someone you know going through it, you can see the signs and get them some help. Right, Joe? I agree with you. Um, you know, awareness is key. Uh, look, knowing the identifiers of somebody that's struggling and knowing where to go for help. Um, those are all critical things, and I'm sure we'll cover that throughout the, uh, the episode today. But, you know, we, this isn't to sensationalize like what he had said. It's just to bring awareness. Right. And, I mean, you know, one of the big things is now, uh, Jim, uh, veterans. Uh, and tell yes. us real quick about that. How many uh, – actually, let me back it up for a second. The – this really came to to my mind. One of our lifers works for the VA, and she had contacted me about bringing some information to the basin on on suicide prevention. And I don't think that she showed up, or I didn't get to meet her because uh, of the size of the crowd. But it, you know, if you work suicides, and then you have to deal with the families and stuff like that, and so many of them could be avoided. Uh, so that's why we're doing this. The, um, but Jim, tell us about the veterans. Unfortunately, um, I've lost a lot of a lot of friends that I served with since coming back from combat. Um, you know what? People don't understand. There's a few things that play into it. Uh, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent with this real quick. But what a lot of the soldiers are experiencing overseas. You know, when you're living that kind of environment and you're being shot at and you're returning fire and you know you see casualties on both sides, it plays a heavy toll on you. It plays a heavy toll on your heart. Another thing that a lot of people don't realize is each and every time you get in a firefight, you get that adrenaline spike. Everybody has that response in them, that fight or flight mode. And so when you get in enough of those firefights and enough of those adrenaline spikes, it's like having a drug and you become addicted to that drug. And when you bring a soldier back to the United States after they've experienced that for, I mean, heck, some of these guys in Iraq went for 18 months. I mean, that is insane. Um, you know, but just going in that environment, living in that environment, being involved with those firefights, and then coming back and trying to live an everyday life where you're not getting shot at anymore, you no longer have that adrenaline spike. You search for it. You need it, but you don't know how to get it. Uh, and, and you start to really struggle. You become depressed. So you're finding reasons, you know, drinking pills, uh, riding motorcycles 120, 130 miles per hour. Um, I've even known of soldiers to go out and just pick a bar fight just for the sake that they needed it. They just needed the adrenaline spike. And when you can't get what you need, you become incredibly depressed. Um, there's not a lot of people that really understand what you've been through. They can hear you, but they don't know what you actually experienced. And you don't really, you know, as a soldier, you end up feeling alone. And when you get out and you're no longer serving and you're back in your home community, if somebody hasn't been to combat, they have no idea what it is that you're going through. They have no idea what it is that you experienced. And so when you become incredibly alone and you have the visualizations of what happened every single day, 
you just it, it just takes you over and you end up succumbing to that. Um, and it's really tragic. And I know that the VA and the government is working really hard to come up with suicide prevention awareness for soldiers. They're doing a lot more for the soldiers out there that have experienced, um, you know, had some t- traumatic experiences and, you know, they want this numbers to lower and they're, they're working as hard as they can. I mean, we've been at battle now for 19 years on foreign soil. Um, that's a long time for us to be at war. And, you know, at least they've put in the time and the research to try to figure this out. Um, I will tell you that for the soldiers that are out there that are listening to this, if you've served and you've served in a combat zone, first and foremost, even though I'm a veteran myself, we can't thank you enough for what you have done. And we love you. And I promise you, if you're a soldier out there that feels like you need to reach out or you need some help, message us at Real Life Real Crime, and I'll make sure you get put into the right in touch with the right places to help you out because I've lost too many soldier friends and I would hate to see another soldier take their life. So reach out. I mean, I'm a veteran. I've been to combat. I've got the badges to go with it. I can at least empathize and sympathize and go through those experiences with you, but I promise you we'll get you in the right direction. Right. Jim, what, what is that national number of the average now on veterans that kill themselves every day? It's, uh, I want to say it's, it's in the twenties. I haven't looked at it in a little bit. Is it is it like 17, 21 a day, something like I, that? I knew it was like 22 or something at, at one point. The, um, it, it's way too high. I mean, one one is too much. Right. And then they're not the only one that suffers too, right? The, every one of them has the family members who actually, I know you know this, when, when you were deployed, they, the family actually deploys with you, right? And then you come back and the family, so it's the whole whole bad scene. Uh, um it, it's bad all day around. I mean, a lot of times people always think about the soldier that's gone, but you know, really what happens when you, when you deploy like that is the, you know, let's just say the spouse is staying back and they're small kids. They, they are now living that life without you in it and you're gone. I mean, you've got something to focus on. You're overseas with your other soldiers trying to survive. I mean, while, you know, your spouse is staying back in the United States trying to keep everything in order. And then another big problem is when that deployment is over, the soldier comes home and now wants to reinsert himself with his family. But that spouse has been living this whole time without you there. They're not used to you being there as a helping hand. So you end up, you know, crossing each other's paths one too many times. And, you know, it's it's tough. And then you know, when a soldier takes their life, I mean, it, it, it's it's just an awful situation all the way around. And I, I know that they're working to fix a lot of those um, issues. But there's a lot of things that people never thought of before. You know, the spouses suffer like crazy. I mean, they're they're they got to worry about you being overseas and what's happening to you. I also trying to put on a smile for the kids working overtime to, to, you know, put food on the table or, or whatever needs to happen to, to keep a normal life going. It's yeah, it's insane. Well, it really is. well, so we're going to get into today. It's not just veterans y'all. It's everybody. And, and, uh, we're going to tell some stories of cases that we actually worked. Some, a couple of them popping termines and we are going to make it, I'm going to visually, how do you say it, visually describe and make sure that you understand that when you hear about somebody committing suicide, it's not just something that you could just float out of your mind again. So I'm going to be descriptive of the scenes, and there's a reason for it. It's not to be gory, but it's it's so you can understand that this is a real, very real thing. And hopefully... 
hopefully, whether it's a veteran or a husband or a wife, whatever, um, hopefully somebody will hear this and maybe save a life one day. So, Jim, tell me, uh, tell me one that sticks out in your head. Well, let's see here. So, one of them that sticks out was when I was on uniform patrol. It was coming towards the end of uh, my uniform patrol days before going to detectives. Actually, actually, what do you, uh, I believe you and I ended up work. You, we did work this one together. I had went to a disturbance call, um, and the disturbance there, there was there was a couple that had gone out drinking and they came back and they were doing a lot of arguing, and the girlfriend had called nine one one. Uh, to report that there was a disturbance. And, and I went over there with another deputy. And when I pulled up to this house, there was this um, dirt gravel kind of driveway that led up to the house. And off to the side was this massive oak tree. I mean, this 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 tree was just huge. Um, and I just instinctively remember seeing that tree when I pulled in. And I went up and made contact with the one who called, which was the girlfriend. And her boyfriend and they had resided together and were just man, this is like too much to drink and just were arguing back and forth. Anyway, when there was no crime that had taken place, they hadn't done anything to each other, just arguing. They were going to separate from each other for a while. And there really wasn't anything else that we could particularly do. They called you called nine one one because it was a one hundred three D, right? A domestic disturbance. Correct. Even it was it wasn't a one hundred three D, which is a disturbance. Right. And so after we take all the measures that we can, um, and we don't, there's no physical signs of abuse, there's nothing that's been broken, they're just arguing. It happens. People argue, they call, um, there's nothing there, one's saying that they're going to leave and, you know, stay somewhere else, sleep it off and come back the next day, you're going to get picked up by a friend, you know. So when I left the residence with that other deputy, I decided to park about a mile away because a lot of times when you leave like that on disturbance, you get called back. And it's not uncommon to get called back within a few minutes. Um, I want to say it was probably between 10 and 15 minutes that I had parked literally a mile away from this area. And the 911 call came in again. Um, again, it was it, it was the, the girlfriend calling in about the disturbance. And she had also called that there was going to be an, what we refer to as an A29S, which is an attempted suicide. So I immediately put my unit in drive. And I start heading there quickly. Um, the other deputy was right there behind me. And as I pulled in, I see the guy from that big oak tree. And about 10 feet up was this limb that came over. And this limb was probably about as round as my body. It's, and he had this rope tied around it. And there was a ladder. There was a ladder right behind it that he walked up. And so as I came pulling up, he jumped off with the noose around his neck and he started swinging. And I remember him going back and forth and I got out of the car along with the guy behind me and the deputy behind me. We went sprinting towards the tree and I grabbed his body and, and lifted up to take the pressure off of his neck. The other guy actually cut the rope. Um, but unfortunately it was too late and there was too much damage that was done from the initial jump off that he did. And actually you came in to work it from there. Yeah. You know, when you started, when you said the Oak tree, I knew it. Um, that one, that one always pops into my mind because for years and years when I drove by, by that place, I would, 
I always think, you know, the um, gosh, this is gonna sound harsh, but the, I always kind of call it the swinging tree, because uh, it's where the guy swung and hung himself. The so yeah, I remember that the when I pulled up, um, of course y'all had him down, and and he was he was ten seven, he was he was dead. The uh, I think it, Jim, I think it was a, a choker. The um, it was one of those things like a toe strap, one one of those big mm-hmm. thick toe straps. Yeah, I, that's what I remember because I remember they had a tough time cutting it because it was one of those thick toe strap things. But so I mean, there you go. That's a prime example. Alcohol involved, and look, don't you know she felt horrible? I, I interviewed the female, and even though they had been fighting, et cetera, et cetera, you know, she didn't want to see that, um, and. Could have been avoided, I guess, right? Too much alcohol, or, or I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, you know, it's completely avoidable. I mean, if they just would have communicated with each other and slept off the drinks, yeah, it would have been just fine. I yeah, mean, it, I just, I, I didn't taking it to the extreme. In my mind's eye, I just, you know, and I, I know people do it all across the world every day, but I'm not doing it. So I'm gonna tell you this. If you ever find me and you have a suicide note that says I killed myself, you need to call a homicide detective because I ain't doing it. I'm just telling you, I'm put that out there right now. Um, yeah, that was a bad one. And she was, she was, I don't, I think I saw her like a year or two later, and she, you know, she gave me a hug and uh, et cetera, and uh, just thanked me for you know showing the respect and everything like that. But yeah, that's that was. A, Definitely a bad one, especially when you when you pull up on scene and you and you get to see him swinging, right? Well, the part that that always sticks out to me was just going on the call the first time and seeing that tree, but pulling up the second time and actually seeing him leap off. That right. that that visual has never ever ever left my mind. Yeah, um, you know, I've just just like you, I, I've driven past there so many times and I, I can't help but look at it and remember what happened that that evening and um it's disappointing because it was completely avoidable um yeah. you know there was no note this was just too much alcohol involved and and just overreacting and letting your emotions take the best of you I, you know I, and I, it resulted in a cost of a life i think that we need to describe the 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 I don't want to say gruesomeness or whatever, but we re- people need to know. But maybe if people hear us just actually describe what it's like, and when you see these bodies, et cetera, maybe when they're close to the line of doing it, they'll stop and think, oh, shit, I don't really want to go through that, right? So, I mean, when you jump off and with that thing around your neck, and actually, uh, his, I, I went to the autopsy on it. That the, I mean, even though we knew it was suicide, his neck was broken clean through, and then the neck had stretched out. I mean, it's just a bad deal. And of course, the eyes are bulging the whole nine yards. It's you know, it's not a way you want to go, people. I mean, you don't have to do it. So, the, uh, that's right. Well, I I was thinking about one Jim that from way back in the uniform patrol, and it was a Sunday afternoon. And I got a call of a gunshot fired, uh, and I'm not going to say any area, anything like this, but the, the, I, I wasn't far away, but it was a rural, rural area. And when I pulled up to the house, there was nobody 
in the house, but but it was a neighbor that heard the gunshot. And that's not uncommon to hear gunshots in in a rural area, Uh, uh, but they, for some reason, they called it in. And I just wanted to kind of do like a welfare check or, you know, I was in the area, so I'll swing through, see what's going on, right? And most people don't know that in Livingston Parish, you're not supposed to fire a firearm within 500 feet of your residence. And everybody you try to tell that to in the rural parts, like, you can go to hell, it's my house and my farmland, I can do whatever I want to, right? So anyway, for whatever reason, I just happened to swing through, and there were no family members there. And a pool, uh, they had a circular driveway went around the residence. And when I got to the backyard, I saw an old man on the ground with like a lawn chair, but it was one of those wooden ones. What do you call it? Aeronautic, whatever. You know what I'm talking about. uh, Right, right. uh, It was one of those chairs tipped over side on the ground. I'm like, maybe the dude had a heart attack or something. I get out and I go look and I see a a 12-gauge shotgun. And uh, he was laying on the ground and on his side. And that's why I was coming from his back. That's why I didn't see the shotgun at first. And when I got past where the chair point was and was able to come around and look at his front, he had a hole in his chest you literally could see through. There was nothing there. And what he did was, um, you say, how can you kill yourself with a, you know, with a shotgun. Well, evidently what he did was he was sitting in that chair. He took his right shoe off and sock off. He put the shotgun between his legs on the ground, and he reached down and he pulled the trigger with his big toe and killed the shit out of him, right? I mean, he accomplished what he wanted to do. He rolls over on the ground with the, uh, and you know, so I called, I called anyway the, uh, um, for, not that the guy was alive. You I mean you could put your head through the hole that he had in his chest, but the uh, the you know you, you volunteer firemen, and I love them, y'all. And they they saved her ass every night, whether it's working uh, accidents and working traffic or whatever. The right. you know bat, p- patching us up or whatever. But they also kind of funny. I mean they they're they're eager eager eager. And I, this is what sticks in my head kind of about this one. The um, one of the volunteer firemen showed up when they, you know, everybody they all monitor their police band radios. And I, I, I never understood that that culture in Livingston Paris. Like a lot of the citizens have police band radios, but uh, but anyway, the the uh, firefighter shows up and it's not funny, but the firefighter shows up and he so the firefighter shows up and because uh, I called it in, a gunshot, you know, uh, man down, et cetera. You know, basically send everybody. But there was a, a volunteer firefighter was one of the first ones on the scene, and he ran up and he grabs the guy's arm and goes, I think I got a pulse, and starts working on him. And I'm like, <laughs> come on, man. Oh, yeah, but I mean, they, maybe it was good training for him or whatever, but I mean, the hole was so big, you could literally see the grass on the ground through his chest. Mm. Uh, so he was definitely 10-7. But here's the story on it. I found out was um, he had actually been placed under arrest for uh, molesting uh, his grandchildren and the, that was on a Sunday, and Monday was his trial. He was going to trial the next day. 
So I, I don't know if he's guilty or innocent. Maybe if he killed himself because he didn't want to go to the trial, uh, whatever. But he damn sure did it, you know. And and you know, y'all, they always say when you pull that trigger, when we when I when I train people on firearms, et cetera, they say when you pull that trigger, you'll never get that round back or that bullet back. And he, you know, say so you, you, you can't. Another sad story. I don't know how he could have avoided it. Uh, uh, but it's just another suicide. Yeah, I mean, wow. So you got you got one. Uh, got my bit. Yeah, um, another one. Um, actually, assisted another agency with a suicide that had happened. Um, it was over a weekend. Uh, I'll never forget. It was actually at a hotel in, in Denham Spring. There's numerous ones. Um, then at this hotel, I ended up going there to assist, and I'll, and I'll vividly remember walking into the room, and there was a guy who had no shirt on, no socks, no shoes, but he had on Houston Rockets shorts. The H-Town. And he was from Texas. Now, he ended up writing some notes for his children. Yeah, that's certainly not uncommon in suicide cases. We can talk about that more in a few minutes, but that's that's pretty standard for people that take the time to do it. Go ahead, Jim. When I saw his body, he was... Like his legs, if you were to take the corner of the bed, like his feet were kind of off the floor but close to it. His body went across that corner but he really had no head. And the reason for it is there, there was a shotgun on the ground is he blew his head off with a shotgun and his teeth were literally stuck in the ceiling. Jeez, that's a mess. I mean, there was nothing left of his head whatsoever. He blew that straight off. There was nothing there. Um, and so there was blood, there was brain matter, there was pieces of skulls, hair, and his teeth. And I remember having to look up there and shine the light because we had to go and try to recover all the teeth that were stuck inside the ceiling right. of the hotel. Right. Hey, let me, um, let me ask you this on the shotgun part. But I mean, you think he put it in his mouth or pulled it with his toes? I mean, most people don't understand no. how you can shoot yourself with a shotgun. I assisted on this one, and I, and I believe he, he may have pulled the trigger with his toe. I just know that it was laying on the floor in front of him, and he put it underneath his chin. Yeah. That's where the initial, and it went straight up and through. Wow. And so it, all of, all of the bone fragments in his mouth, his cheeks, his nose, everything, teeth, and it just shot straight up and into the ceiling and, and just all onto the back wall. Um, I mean, it was everywhere. And the notes that he wrote to his children were his last goodbyes to his kids. And this guy, the reason he did it is because he got tired of always being reported for either lack of child support, lack of alimony, anything that he did, his ex just made his life a living hell. And it just got to the point where he just felt like he was better off to be gone. And he ended up writing those notes to his kids and basically explain his reasons 
and that he loves them and that he wishes they're going to have a lot of success in their life. And it was just his last words to his children, but also a little dig towards the ex-wife as to why she drove him to do this. Yeah. Um, and that crime scene or that crime scene, cause it, after we worked it anyway, I mean, it was very gruesome. I mean, it, if you can just imagine literally picking out teeth that are teeth out of ceilings, that's a lot and the of bone fragments. Yeah. That's a lot I of mean, force. You, all the furniture had to be moved completely out. Every single thing had to be combed over. All the carpet had to be torn up. All the wallpaper had to be changed. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, we were literally finding skull frag and and bone fragments, just yeah. hundreds upon well, hundreds I mean, of pieces. Yeah, thank the when you when you do that under the chin, the the teeth would have been and the chin bone would, would have been one of the last things to hit the ceiling. The whole skull and the hair and and brain and eyes and everything else goes first, right? So, but it still had it enough force for for the teeth to get embedded in the ceiling. That's pretty sick. The uh. So, but uh, I mean, again, let's talk about his reason for it. But he basically, he's saying his ex-wife made his life a living hell. But I mean, you know, I'm sure she made it a living hell for a reason, right? I mean, the, the, uh, it's a serious thing. Like you said, he took the jab and, and the note at the end towards her. But let me talk about that real quick. Y'all, there's, I've been numerous suicide prevention classes, et cetera, when, way back when I started in corrections and then uh, in detectives and stuff like that. There's certain signs you can look for on people like this. Uh, uh, I'll give you an example of the Christopher Pell case where he uh, murdered his wife and Popeyes, right? But before he did that, the the, the they say that people that have resigned that are, that are not under the influence of alcohol. It's not in the heat of the moment. Uh, people like this guy, they'll take times and, and, and write notes or they'll call their estranged loved ones they haven't talked to in years and, and chat them up like everything's fine. Uh, Christopher Pell took his mama and his aunt to lunch at Ryan's. and or, or here's a big one. They'll give away their most prized possessions to, yes. to, to their kids or to whomever it is. Uh, so you, you know, Uncle Joe's got this, you know, great lips, uh, great guitar. Let's say right, and, and and he's had it his whole life, and all of a sudden, you know, he's been depressed, and he calls you over and he gives it to you. Maybe you want to try to get him some help. But there's a lot of signs like that, and of course, notes are self-explanatory. But the other behavior is it's, they reach a peace and a calm. People that are sober reach a peace and a calm because they're resigned to do it and they're resigned to go ahead and kill themselves and move on to the next life. So those are, those are very real telltale signs. Uh, um, so I'm glad you mentioned that Woody, because that's, that, that's so accurate. And when you look back at a lot of the cases that we've worked over the years and a lot of the suicides that have happened, that's exactly what they did is they're giving out a lot of the prize possessions or just doing something completely out of character that they've never done before. And it's almost like for someone, it's just some of those signs you just need to really pay attention to. It's just completely out of place, you know, and when they, when they have some, when they're not someone that's really giving of their items or one that's really going to take you out to eat or do those kind of things. And now all of a sudden their most prized possessions, 
that you know they cherish and will never want to be away from. Heck, they may not even really wanted you to see it, let alone now they're all of a sudden going to give it to you. I mean, that's just a, it's a major red flag as something's to come. And it's the time to start asking some questions. Same thing, same, you know, the, same thing, especially about the phone calls uh, of some the the. You now we had to find these victims, or well, I guess they're self victims. We had to find these deceased people's family members and make death notifications on every one of these. Now sometimes, of course, they're right there. Sometimes they're out of state or whatever. You know what we say? When they're out of state, and we had to call them. They'd be like, "Oh, you know what." It was strange, detective. He called me today. I hadn't talked to him in three years. We had a blowout, and he called me today and just told me that he loved me, and and he was sorry, and I'm a wonderful person, and and you know I did so much good for him in his life, and here he is, you know, shot himself or whatever, right? So, but those those are very real signs, y'all. I mean, they actually teach that in classes. Um, Jim, I'm gonna do another one. The let's see. The I'm going to talk about ones that you would never be able to guess the outcome of. Mm. It's, it's certainly different. There was one, it was a couple, a guy had gone out drinking, and he came home to his significant other, and they had a four-year-old. And they got into it in the living room. I, I don't know what about. the, uh, But they were sitting on the couch together. And the four-year-old's playing on the floor in front of him. And this dude, in the middle of the conversation, pulls out a Beretta 9mm, stuck it in his, uh, underneath his chin. That's what maybe popped in my head when you said that the guy put it under his chin. Put it underneath his chin and, and, and literally blew his face off. And then she calls 911, and we get there. Dude is still alive. And you can't see the whole front of his face is gone. You, I mean, you're literally looking at bone. All his teeth are blown out. Uh, um, but you, the nose is gone. The uh, the eyes. I mean, it's just. I mean, literally, it's almost like he scalped the whole front of his face off. And and but he was alive. I mean, he was breathing. And we got medical there, and they took him in. And uh, I never found out what happened. But obviously, I mean, he did it. There was no foul play. But again, alcohol is involved in that one. Uh, um, but I have to think, I mean, so people, if you're thinking about doing, you're thinking you're going to take this quick, painless way out, uh, I'm pretty sure the guy probably did die, but he didn't die for a while. And he and he was definitely did, in pain. Did you work that as a detective or as a uniform patrol? As, as uniform, I was the first one to respond. Yeah. Okay. The, um, the, so I mean, it's it's a real deal, and I you know never painless. Well, let's talk about another segment of it, Jim. The statistically, women do not shoot themselves. That that's a very uh, rare percentage, but I have had it happen. But the normally females won't shoot themselves because they don't want to mess up their face for the funeral. It's a fact. And 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 where guys would be more tend to shoot themselves, um, but I've, I've I've worked many 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 females that have shot themselves, but but it's very rare. Normally, it's a a uh, pill overdose or, or maybe a hanging or or slight a uh, big one for females is is the slicing of the wrist. Um, you know you know I'm 
you mentioned the slicing of the wrist, and I'm going to cut in on that because, uh, you know, when you – there have been times, and I, I there, it brings up another one, where a female continued to make slices on her wrist. Now, a lot of times it was on the top of her wrist, then it turned to the inside of her wrist, and she would make these marks, and so she would have all these lines. And nobody ever questioned her on these. And that's something to look for. Like that's 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 a cry for help when somebody is continuously slicing at their arm, slicing at their wrists. It's a cry for help. That's not normal behavior, yeah. and that's something that needs to be addressed. Because this poor girl, one time, eventually decided she was going to do it for real. I mean, she had been marking on her arms for a while. It was obvious, yeah. um, at least when we seen her, she, it was obvious that she had all these markings on there. The, the, the scarring on there was at a different phase. The part that that always sticks out to me was just nobody noticed that she had been making all these marks on her arm until the day that she actually, actually took her life. And and it's just sad that nobody paid attention to this girl. This was a teenage girl, a teenage girl. One of her friends had to notice a family member had to notice because we were able to observe all the different markings that she had on her wrist. And and some of the scarring uh, was old then there were newer cuts and you could just, you could just see the pattern. Look, and it was a cry for help. Yeah, let's, and nobody paid attention. Let's talk about that real quick. Uh, the I guess we've had so much training on Jim that you know that's self mutilation when people cut or hurt themselves continuously, and actually it makes them feel good. That makes them feel for an instant when they have that other pain, it takes away whatever hurt psychologically it is that they're going through. So you're right that it is a straight up sign, and, and eventually a lot of men do end up killing themselves whether it's on purpose or by accident so if you see if you have a friend you know you see you know continuous cuts and scars on her or a teenager or whatever you need that's a that's a sign obviously it's something's wrong um so the y'all you know kids do it too i mean it's a it's a it's a hard thing to hear but man that's the that's the the worst ones to go work, uh, and I do this one real quick, Jim. The uh, it was a sixteen-year-old girl. I got the call as a detective, and I'm not going into any details, but that her parents got home and she wasn't there, and it was not like her, et cetera. And long and short of it is, we got there, and I found uh, in the crumpled up in her her wastebasket was a a picture of herself or, or a picture of a girl a stick figure girl with long hair shooting herself with a gun and I when I asked family members I said do y'all have any firearms in the house and they did and when they went to find it they couldn't find the pistol and we found her probably like six hours later in the woods behind the house single gunshot wound to the head which she definitely was stressing right yeah, it's just sad. Uh, 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 just, that just brings tears to my eyes thinking of, of some of this. So much life to live. Yeah. You know, and so young, and you just you just wish you can get to them in time to get them the help that they needed so but they could for live them, a long, prosperous life. For I mean, them, just, for them, they think that their pain is so real, right, that they think that's the only way out. I mean, and, and that's why I say, hey, if you ever find Woody Overton with it, I ain't do it. That's why I would... Uh, want to take a few minutes we'll do what we're doing today hopefully somebody can hear this and and will either the thought of the pain the person went through at the last second or you know whatever man it's just not that bad get some help go ahead jim right 
Yeah, another one I had worked was another one in uniform patrol. Um, this particular male took his own life. He had dealt with a lot of tragedy leading up to this. He had lost a child, uh, and not not a young baby, like I'm, I'm you know, a, a you know, early twenties child um, had also lost their spouse um, and was just going through a great deal of pain and didn't want to feel that pain anymore. Um, we ended up getting a call of a gunshot. One of what we refer to as 103G heard in this back of this residence. Uh, we pulled up there, started searching around, and in the back of this residence was like this, um, like a like a detached garage, like a garage that typically would be in the house, but it's actually behind. Um, and as you're going through there, and that's the area that it was reported. The doors were open. It could shine a light in there. When I shine a light, I could see a body on the ground. And so I had gone in. Um, I had another unit with me, um, another deputy. And when we went in, I just remember literally having to see this mass amount of blood. I mean, there was just blood all over the floor. And it, it, I mean, it was still kind of coming out of his chest and he actually took a, a pistol and shot himself directly in the heart. And it, as his body was dying, his body still pumping out that blood. And it just, I mean, I don't, I don't think I've ever seen that much blood on the ground as I did then. Um, just his position. And it just kept coming out and coming out. Well, that, and that, you know, means, we, that means he lived a lot. And, and we block it off and, and work at yeah that means he lived and suffered for a long time people so he it's did. not always easy like you think it's going to be the, uh, the 90 percent of them aren't i can assure you that um i have one more the i want to talk about the because we work so many of them with gambling y'all so many people, good people that had great lives, great careers and stuff, and they get off and, and the gambling got out of control. And if I, if I wouldn't say this, but this is, this is the, the number one reason for suicides that I ever worked besides dope and the, the heat of the moment cases, right? As people got themselves so far in debt that they did it. And one lady, uh, I said females don't shoot themselves that often, but she actually... Um, was living in an apartment, and she went. I got the call of the gunshot, went in. Actually, I got called as a detective, went in. She was laying half in, half out of her closet. She had she had picked up a big, she made a big uh, pillow rest of towels and put them underneath her head and, and shot herself so she wouldn't make a mess, right? I mean, she's even thinking, and she's going out the door, she's thinking that I don't want to make a mess for the people in the apartment. But it was over gambling debt. And, and I mean, just so many of those. Look, if you got a gambling problem, get some help. The numbers are out there. And you know what we're going to do, Jim? We're going to um, have Cindy put up the numbers for suicide hotlines or whatever in our show notes today. I just feel very strongly about it. And, y'all, we have hundreds of these, and we could go on forever. But just if you're thinking about doing it, call somebody. The, the, uh, the, the, uh, I know what I want to say. A lot of times, the families don't want to believe it's a suicide, and, and especially cases when you show up and there's two 
spent casings on the ground before the person shot themselves. Well, the other thing they'll do a lot of the times is they will test fire the weapon before they put it in their mouth and kill them or you know shoot themselves in the head or whatever. So that's a, another thing. It's hard. It's hard for a family member to accept that their loved one was in such a bad place because a lot of it, especially in the gambling and stuff like that, they, they keep it hidden for so long, right? But anyway, right. y'all, the, 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 this is a tough episode today. Um, it's real life, real crime in the aspect that it's what cops have to go through every day. And, and we wanted to bring it to you from a standpoint of don't do it. You know, get some help. So, hell, you call me, I'll talk, you know, I'll talk to you. I mean, mm-hmm. don't do it. Uh, it's not worth it. I promise you, no matter how bad you think it is, you, you can get help and get better. There's somebody that's been through your shoes, somebody that's done in the, been in the spot that you're at and, and, you know, um, just don't do it, you know? So we'll, we'll put all the stuff in the show notes and everything, numbers, different numbers to call and, um, whatever. But I just, you know, I feel very strongly about it. If you had worked as many as we had hundreds of worked of people that killed themselves at the end of the day, it could have been avoided. But if they had had the resources or whatever, so, I agree with you. They they definitely can be avoided, avoidable, and yeah. um, just yeah. ask for help. It's, I mean, it's, it's sad. It's really what it comes to. Somebody out there is going to listen. Somebody out there is going to talk to you. Someone out there is going to give you the help that you need. Yeah. So you can see what the rest of your life has in store for you. Some there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of people out there that talk about their stories where they've reached rock bottom and they thought that there was no more that they had to give, but they reached out for help and they asked for some help. And you know what? they've reached their greatest heights of success Absolutely. after that because they got the help they needed. They worked through their issues and they found just unmeasurable amount of success Right, right. after they've been on the rock bottom. Right. And, and I, I must say this because it pops in my mind. I've always said, and I would be, be being honest to myself if I didn't say it, and I'm sure somebody's going to get pissed off about it. But I also personally think that committing suicide is one of the most selfish things that you can do because you leave behind somebody. I don't care if, if you're fighting with your mom and your daddy, your husband, whatever. They don't want to see you die. You know, don't be selfish. Get some help. Uh, reach out, and it's, it can be avoidable, you know? So I, I think that's it, Jim. Um, I think that's it, yeah. Yeah, yeah but y'all... But tough episode. Yeah, tough episode, but you know what? If, if one person hears it, and we'll never know about it, but if one person hears it and says, you know what, I don't want to do that now, then it'll be worth everything. So, but let's go on, y'all. That's the end of the episode for today. Um, and until next time or ever, don't let us catch you down on murder by you. Peace. Peace. All right. Uh, Lifers, a couple announcements and things we want to talk about real quick. First of all, the crew bash, smashing success. Adult party to the to the rooftops, right? We blew it out. Tom Play, Toby and Shelly, and about last night, rocked the house. I mean, they blew it out. I, I was jealous, man, because we were upstairs taking pics for so long, and I wanted to get down and cut a rug, right? Throw down with them, but I heard my wife took care of most of that for me. <laughs> but the, the, the uh, but it was a great time. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. We really appreciate y'all, and, and y'all 
the uh you know the music was fantastic the the story was great the crowd was ph- phenomenal the place was packed right but you know it is what it is and i think everybody had a great time and um so i want to talk about that with the, the uh they surprised us on stage afterwards with a recording of some people that are very near and dear uh, to Jim and I, not only family members, but some of the top podcasters in the world that we've become friends with actually took the time to record statements for us. And I don't think the place was so loud and, and, and cutting up so much by this point. I mean, we've been on stage for a couple of hours and everybody was at the parade before and everybody was hammered. Uh, I was having trouble, trouble hearing it and, and, and she was playing in my ear. So what I'd like to do, Jim, I'm going to add that when we get done talking here. Uh, um, okay. And I, it's important. And I want to say thank you to each and every one of y'all who took your time to do that for us. It means a lot yeah. to me. I listened to it at like 4 o'clock that morning brought tears to my eyes. So it really means a lot to me and I appreciate it. Um, the, I actually listened to it two hours ago. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Right? Again. Yeah, it's it's good stuff, man. And and we appreciate everybody's well wishes and thank you, you know, shout outs, et cetera. Now, Jim, what's the name? Uh, God, because you know how bad I am for names. Y'all, we had a guy that dropped an episode on his own podcast on Sunday. Um, Jim Chapman. Jim Chapman, that's it. Jim Chapman does a podcast about all things paint. Right, so he's a he's a paint salesman. And he does a podcast about paint. Well, guess what? I'm re- I don't really listen to podcasts anyway. But the, the he had posted a link to this. Well, his wife is a huge fan of real life, real crime, and so for Valentine's Day, he took her to the bash, and he went in and left this totally unsolicited. I don't know the guy. I, I met him that night. Um, I didn't know he was going to do this. And he went in, if you want to hear a true, unsolicited, uh, unbiased, if you will, opinion of of the crew bash and what you miss, then y'all go give his podcast a listen. And when it's on all our social media sites, et cetera, it's it's really pretty cool. It's Chapman's Paint Podcast. Chapman's Paint Podcast. Yeah, y'all check him out, especially if you're in the paint, right? I mean, uh, but the... it's a cool dude. I mean, I just, I was kind of blown away by it. it uh, um, but I mean, he didn't hold any punches. He called it just like it was. But, um, you know, we're pushing 1.3 million downloads. Your Patreon members, you know, we love you. Uh, you'll get a, your next episode in probably less than two weeks. Um, if, if y'all don't know about that, I think we have seven or eight episodes locked up, Joe. Right, it's about at least seven hours worth. Yeah, seven different full episodes. And listen, we we put some of our best episodes in Patreon, period, and and, and some of our funniest and raunchiest and more most serious episodes are there. So, if you can be a Patreon member, awesome. If you can't, we get it. And uh, but the y'all, we love you all regardless. And uh, if you'll just keep liking us and sharing us, listen, our, our our personal, not personal, private Facebook page, Real Life, Real Crime, Friends, Fans, and Crew grew by over 3,000 members this week. We're, we're, we're at well over 15,000 now. That's, a, that's crazy. I mean, y'all keep sharing us and, and you know, showing the love, and, and we appreciate it. 
it's awesome. But y'all keep doing it. And if you don't mind leaving us a review, wherever you listen to podcasts or whether it's Apple or whatever, um, you know, we just appreciate and love y'all. Don't forget you can follow us on Instagram. It's real life, real crime. Overton Woody or Jim underscore Rathman. Right. And two last two things. And I'm going to leave it at this always. And first foremost in our mind is justice for Courtney Coco. So y'all keep, I got to keep the fight up for her and we will get justice for her. now. The next two things I want to talk about um, first is next week we are going to be airing our first episode on the new big cold case. And it's the one you've all been waiting on that we get asked about all the time. And I might have a special guest on uh, and we're going to lay out the original facts of the case. Then some more real life, real crime, fun stuff that's coming up. So. We appreciate y'all. Jimmy, got anything else? No, I think you said it all. Appreciate love all of you. Yeah, y'all rock. Wouldn't trade any of y'all for any other fan from anybody else in the world. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. So we love you. We appreciate you. Uh, Peace. Hi, Woody. Okay, 50 years ago, you gave me one heck of a backache, and we've had some really ups and downs in between, but I'm super proud of you and super proud of the podcast and all you're achieving. Love you much, Mom. Hey, Jim and Woody. Tom Rathman Sr. here. I just want to congratulate each of you on your one-year anniversary, your podcast awards, your million downloads, and your live shows. Guys, keep up the good work. The best just come. Have a great night tonight. Hey, Jim and Woody. Stephanie here. Wanted to wish a very happy anniversary to Real Life Real Crime. You should be incredibly proud of your accomplishments over the past year. I mean, the Million Downloads and a People's Choice Podcast Award. It takes some serious perseverance and grit to have a team in just 12 months. And I hope that you guys take the time to reflect and celebrate and cheers to an even more amazing year ahead. Hey, Woody, it's your big sis. I just wanted to say congratulations and so excited about all that you're doing. You're amazing, and happy birthday to you. I love you. Hey, y'all. It's Tom, Woody, and Jim. I just want to congratulate you both on a fantastic 2019. You both had so many huge milestones that were achieved in your first year. Uh, with Real Life, Real Crime, the podcast. First of all, congratulations on the one-year anniversary, the one million downloads, and, of course, the People's Choice Award. Uh, Also, 2019 was real special. You both cracked and solved a very special case for Courtney Coco and her family. Uh, You both should be so proud of that. I know you both are. Um, We all know 2020 will be even more special. You know what, guys, let's hit that two to three million uh, download mark. Also, happy 50th birthday to you, Woody. You're officially over the hill, my friend. Uh, Once again, fantastic year, guys. The sky's the limit, and don't let me catch any of you down on Murder by You. Peace. Hey, Jim and Woody. This is Summer. I'm so proud of what you guys have done in one short year with this podcast hitting over 1.2 million downloads and reaching so many people. I just wanted to tell Woody happy birthday, and y'all keep up the good work. 
Hey, you want to hear it's Colette? I just wanted to tell you congratulations on the amazing success of Real Life, Real Crime. You are doing awesome. You're the best storyteller out there. And being able to combine your passion for law enforcement with your talent for storytelling has just made an amazing podcast that I love listening to. I'm really proud of you and can't wait to see where your success takes you. Congratulations. I love you. Happy birthday. Hey, Woody and Jim. It's Lori and Emily, the Accidental Influencer Sisters. We are so excited to be a part of this journey with y'all and having this bring our friend Cindy into our life. Can't wait to see what the future holds. The best is yet to come. We love y'all. Hey everyone, it's Mike Morford, host of Criminology, The Murder of My Family, Three Minute Mystery, and probably six or seven other podcasts I forgot about. I just wanted to reach out to tell the team at Real Life Real Crime that it's great news that you guys hit your one-year anniversary and have a million downloads in the bank. That is tremendous, and it's the sky's the limit, so keep it up. Uh, I know that you guys do a, a lot of great work over there, Woody, Jim, Cindy, uh, Christine. Uh, it's a group effort, and you're all working to do good stuff, so congratulations on that. And I hear Woody is celebrating a 50th birthday don't worry, they say that is the new 30. At least I hope so, because I'm heading towards 52. Uh, but anyway, keep up the great work. Happy birthday, Woody. And hope to meet you all in person real soon. This is Michael Ojibwe from the Invisible Choir True Crime Podcast. And I want to send a huge congratulations out to Woody Overton and Jim the Hitman Rathman, who are not only two of the best-looking podcasters to ever bless the microphone, but two of the most genuinely caring and fascinating storytellers I've come to know in this industry. After just one year, Real Life Real Crime has surpassed over 1 million downloads and received the 2019 People's Choice Award for Storytelling. That's no small feat. So congratulations, guys, on your continued success and for offering up something truly unique and selfless in the true crime genre. You bring a level of truth, justice, and reality to the side of crime that few of us ever see or hear from. So thank you, Woody and Jim, for being you. And congratulations on all of your hard work and success now and into the future. I have every confidence that 2020 is the year we finally see justice for Courtney, in large part thanks to you two. So keep up the fantastic work, gentlemen, and Woody, happy 50th birthday. Hi, Woody, Jim, and Cindy. It's Cambo here from True Crime Island. Congratulations on Real Life Real Crime's first birthday. You've really made a mark on the podcast scene this past year. Best wishes from everyone on the island for the future and someone told me it's Woody's 50th birthday as well. So happy birthday, mate, and boom fuckalunga. This is Roseanne from the California Dreaming Podcast. I would like to say it has been a pleasure getting to know Woody and his co-host Jim and his entire crew over at Real Life Real Crime. You have accomplished so much in your first year of your show. You surpassed a million downloads, and I'm certain... You are well on your way to millions and millions more. Your show was the recipient of the People's Choice Award for Storytelling, and you yourself, Woody, turned the big 5-0. It was a big year, and it was very, very well-deserved. Congratulations on the wins, the milestones, the successes, and, of course, your show's first birthday. And here's to many, many more sending you all of our love from California Dreaming, and thank you so much for being a friend to our show as well. 
Hey, Woody and Jim, it's Jamie over at Murderish. Hey, I just wanted to pop in here and tell you both, I am so excited for you guys to reach one year and just to look back at all of the success that you've achieved on your podcast is amazing. You guys are doing the work of heroes and your episodes make me cry. They make me laugh. They give me all the feels. So, you know, I'm so excited to call you both my friends and really proud of both of you um, to see what you've been able to accomplish. And you guys are using your skills for good in the world. And um, you're going to get that Courtney Coco case solved. I just know it. So happy one year podversary. So proud of you guys. Can't wait to see you soon. And uh, take care, guys. And cheers to many, many more years. Hey, Woody and Jim. This is Kim, Nikki, Crystal, and Dina with Bombfields. We want to congratulate you on your People's Choice Podcast Award. Congratulations on over 1 million downloads. Happy one-year anniversary. And happy 50th birthday, Woody. And for supporting us. We look forward to so much more for you guys in the future. Bye. Hey, good evening. What's up, Jim? What's up, Woody? This is Aaron Goldsby coming to you live, raw, and unscripted here on the eve of the first annual real-life, real-crime crew bash. And what a night it will be. It's been a great year so far. We'll be celebrating one year of the podcast. Very successful. In one short year, you guys, with hard work, dedication, and a wonderful podcast, were able to solve a 15-year cold case. And all we can hope for in the year to come is that justice will be served for Courtney Coco. Got a lot to celebrate, a lot to look forward to. Woody, happy birthday, brother. Hope you enjoy it, and uh, it's going to be a good time, guys. Looking forward to it. Can't wait to see what the road brings, the road ahead. And, uh, of course, as we all know and feel, it will be nothing but great success. Enjoy your night, have fun, and looking forward to it. Boat. Sorry, couldn't help myself. Hey guys, it's Tyler from the Minds of Madness. So Cindy messaged me the other day, and apparently something pretty exciting is going on. A first year anniversary. Over 1 million downloads. The People's Choice Podcast Award, which is pretty damn awesome. And Woody is 50 years old. Seriously, that's an incredible amount of achievements. And I gotta say, it's been a genuine privilege getting to know you, watching your show grow, seeing you in all those media outlets, watching your online community just explode, and the best part, calling you guys my friends. So I hope you guys have an amazing night. Woody and Jim, you're doing incredible. I'm so proud of you. And last but not least, Cindy, you're such an amazing and supportive person. What you took on to help out Woody is, is fantastic. And of course, you know, I can't help but look at myself and Beck. And I was lucky enough to have somebody to support me as well. So I'm going to sign off now. And congratulations for an incredible first year. So I hope you all have an amazing night. And don't get too silly. You know I think the world of you. 
and I'll see you at the end of April at CrimeCon. Have a good night, everyone. Hey, Woody. It's your daddy. I'm so glad you finally got on the right side of crime. Uh, we were so concerned about you many years ago that maybe you might be an expert on both sides of crime. But now, since you have all that experience, 30, 40 years, retired from Louisiana State Police, uh, all kind of investigative work, leading off into a wonderful, wonderful, joyful future, hopefully, and everything is just wonderful because of your background, and we're proud of it, and we're proud of your podcast, whatever that is. I haven't figured it out yet, but I'll know pretty soon. Thanks. Love you. Bye. Daddy. Get ready. You're going to do